Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to Sick Meets World. I'm Sean Sinkumar, and I'm joined by Gerwin Singhahudja, and we're the co-founders of the National Sick Campaign. In this episode, we got to do an interview together for the first time, uh, and it's a conversation with Dr. Rajwant Singh, who is the other co-founder of the National Sick Campaign, uh, and someone who's dedicated most of their life to sick awareness and sick advocacy and improving our community's standing here in the United States. Uh, it's a really wide-ranging conversation, touching on his life from uh, immigration uh, to he- here in the United States to where he is now as a successful dentist and someone who's really taking on a lot of the challenges our community has faced. Uh, and we did this interview prior to the PR Week Award Gala in New York City in, in March of 2017. Uh, and we did this because, you know, it was a really celebratory time for us because later that night, we won the Best for a Cause Award, which was an incredible experience uh, and really showed that our work, you know, in, in raising awareness of Sikhism through modern marketing mediums is something that is truly remarkable. And so uh, it was it was an awesome night. And I think he really gave us a, a deep understanding of, of his life and um, what he's hoping to accomplish with his with his um, work. Gerwin, what were your thoughts on the conversation? Yeah, just to piggyback on the PR Week Award, that, that for many people may not know is, is the most significant award in the PR marketing industry. So you were, we were competing against some big brands. Uh, but on the conversation, it was super interesting because we've worked with Dr. Ajwan for a number of years, and I don't think we even knew his full story. And when, you, when we were talking to him, it's actually astonishing because you recognize how he, as an individual, has made such a significant impact uh, on the Sikh community. And, and he's used his leadership skills and his, his proximity to DC uh, to get Sikh and Sikh Americans in front of some of the most powerful people in the world. And it, it, it's a really interesting story to see how a young, uh, ambitious grad student uh, who immigrated to the United States uh, went from a scrappy kid to meeting with world leaders and presidents uh, and, and, and truly becoming a global global leader. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was an, a remarkable conversation. And I think he take on he takes on a lot of the challenges that that he you know had faced, whether that was pushback from the community or in political settings. Uh, he just gave us a, a fresh scoop on on his life and career. And I think this conversation is, is, you know, really engaging in that way. Um, another big thing that he's focused on right now is Guru Nanak's Gurpurab, his 550th, and the release of a documentary on Guru Nanak's life that will be distributed by PBS uh, and, and, you know, televisions around the around the world and, and primarily in the United States, of course. Uh, really interesting just hearing about his focus on that and, and what he's hoping to accomplish in 2019. Um, so without a further ado... Our conversation with Dr. Rajwant Singh. 
I think I want to take it back and really give people an idea of who you are as a person and where you came from. You know, a lot of people I think would be surprised to know, but you're from Calcutta, India. You were born there. Why were you born in Calcutta and not Punjab? Or well, my grandfather had moved from Sangrur, Punjab, uh, to Calcutta, and um, he had a transport business. And then uh, my father became a medical doctor. So he opened up his practice and decided to stay there. And that's where I was born. So you moved to the United States then in 1979. Yes. You were only 17 years old. Yes. So how was it like assimilating uh, in the United States at that time, in that age? What did it mean to have a turban at that time, in that age? Basically, actually, that was the same year my, my father moved 1979, now that I'm thinking about it. Yes. So it was a, America was a very different place. Yes, uh, Jimmy Carter was the president, and uh, I sooner I reached here, mm-hmm. uh, there was a Iranian oil, uh, Iranian hostage crisis. And, um, you know, we, we saw it was mm-hmm. happening, and then we saw how it started to have um, an impact on the Sikh community because of Ayatollah's turban and that was the first time sort of the American public uh, saw a, a you know a figure which which had a anti-Americanism and anti-Western uh, hate spewing being spewed out by a turban wearing a mullah so that had a, a major negative impact on on Sikhs and I remember that we would deliberately not choose not to wear a black turban, uh, you know, because it will be closely associated with the Ayatollahs. And um, I, I did not speak that much English at that time, I, because I had come from Calcutta, so I, I went to Northern Virginia Community College, learned, you know, went through all my basic uh, education there, mm-hmm. and slowly and slowly, you know, started trying to understand how the American culture and this whole nation works. Did you face any prejudice or racism that you could remember, any experiences, and how did you overcome that? Uh, just, uh, you know, barely two or three times uh, I heard people saying, hey, Ayatollah, go back. You mm. know, those are the kinds of uh, um, things that I heard in school or walking down the street, mm-hmm. but uh, no violent activity against uh, any of the Sikh community at that time. So you, uh, at least I don't remember of any. Okay. Well, that's yeah. that's better than some of the times we have now, actually. Yes. Uh, actually, that actually brings us to an interesting point. Do you think it's better now, meant almost 40 years later, or do you think it's, it's, it's backslided? Well, m- there are more Sikhs now and more organized community, and we are playing more prominent role um, so there's more awareness, but but um, at that time people you know identified Sikhs mostly with India. They, any turban wearing person would would easily be um, associated with India. That's how what the perception was. Of course, you know the little kids would say, "Hey, genie or whatever." Mm-hmm. <laughs> how the, the cartoons yeah. would play Sikhs yeah. or turban wearing sure. person being a genie. So that you will hear uh, in the supermarket with, from the kids or <laughs> when you were walking down the street. But generally, people had a very positive uh, view about somebody wearing a turban. I'm sure 9-11 flipped the script in a lot of ways. Yes, yes. Yeah. So after finishing community college in Northern Virginia, 
you decided to pursue dentistry. Uh, how was that process, and, and how did you end up choosing dentistry to be your your profession? Yes, well, because of my uh, my family background, that my father was uh, a medical doctor, oh, okay, and uh, I wanted to be in the medical field. But when I came here in this country, when I saw that uh, a medical doctor has a very very busy life, and I really wanted to have um, a comfortable living and uh, uh, social status, but at the same time, I wanted to be involved and in doing things uh, for the community or for the faith. So I did not want to be com completely consumed by a career. So when I saw my uncle, Dr. Amarjeet Singh Marwa, um, I visited him and I kind of liked uh, the kind of lifestyle he had. And uh, so I felt that uh, the schedule is better being a dentist. It's a nine to five job. There are less emergencies and uh, you know you don't have to work on the weekends. Yeah. So that kind of fit my idea of uh, a professional life at the same time I could balance with my being involved in the community. Yeah and your vision is correct. I mean look what you're doing today. Yes. Right. I'm glad <laughs> I chose that path. So you, you like you said you wanted to get involved and that was your mission uh, when you one of your missions when you became a dentist, um, but what what really like genuinely got you inspired uh, to be involved with the Sikh community? When I was eleven years old, mm -hmm. I attended this Sikh camp mm -hmm. uh, in a place called Pantasab, which is um, um, a place where Guru Gobind Singh Ji lived there for two years and kind of prepared himself to. Uh, ultimately formed Khalsa in 1699. So that period where he lived in Pontasau, I was there for 10 days. And that kind of changed my life. I really got connected with Sikhi. And I was at uh, that time 11 years old. And I took Amrit and I became very, very um, heavily charged up Sikh boy. Um, and then I started reading Sikh history, Sikh uh, you know, books, and uh, there were a lot of prominent uh, Sikh personalities who kind of encouraged me, and some of them even wanted me to pursue my career in journalism or whatever. But that, at that time, I kind of started re realizing that, you know, we have a, such a wonderful faith, and we should be able to, um, you know, tell other people how wonderful this whole set of philosophy is, and how do we spread the word, and how do we really motivate young people to be involved. So then I became part of the Sikh Student Federation. And, and then um, in 1978, there was a, uh, a violent clash between Sikhs and Nirmkaris. And I was, you know, kind of really um, shaken by that incident. And that Sikh community also was shaken by that. So I, right during that time, um, I was becoming kind of a rebellious kind of a Sikh boy. You know, normally all, you know, Sikh young people or any, you know, community has young people who get charged up. And I felt that, that there was a, there was a, that the Sikh community is not being or, or treated well or with respect. So that was the drive when I came and I came to this country and I started the, this whole crisis of um, Ayatollah and the, you know, Sikhs being uh, kind of uh, 
taunted or told all kinds of things. So that all of that really worked to create a sense for me to say that we need to do something to have our presence. So yeah, that's that's the motivating factor. What was your inspiration or reason to kind of get involved at a local level here in America? Well, um, I got uh, involved in uh, uh, the local Gurdwara in Silver Spring, Guru Nanak Foundation. That was the only Gurdwara at that time. Um, although there was a smaller Gurdwara in, uh, uh, in D.C., the military road Gurdwara. But um, I came and I used to do Kirtan. So people liked my Kirtan and they would Yeah, you have a beautiful me. voice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and they would encourage me. I was just a young boy, so people you know, were fascinated by a young person who had just come from India doing Kirtan. So I got a lot of encouragement and I used to play tabla. In fact, I was the probably only, there was one another gentleman, they were, we were the only two people who would play tabla in the whole Washington DC area in this community. So people would, you know, request me or ask me to come and play tabla for them. So that, you know, right there, it just, uh, I got started getting plugged in very heavily in the affairs of the Sikh community. And then there was no youth organization. There was no youth um, sort of uh, a group which would bring young people together. And there were very, very few. So I, you know, decided that we should form a youth organization. So we called it uh, Sikh Youth Association. And we held the first event at the Guru Nanak Foundation. That was in 1980. And we had a wonderful participation from the local Sikh youth uh, from across the Washington, D.C. area. And then we've continued to have this organization, uh, have meetings, regular activities. We will do uh, some uh, get-togethers. So that started defining me as a kind of, you know, the, yeah, this Community is, this organizer. Is, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So I would make calls, you know, I would send out letters or whatever. Um, so it, it, that helped me to develop my skills hmm. as, a, or, as an organi organizer, yeah. For, so when you started getting involved in politics, that's, I feel like, when you really started making your mark, not just in Maryland, but really across the United States and really around the world. So for many, for, for many six, they really got to know your name once you were invited to the White House by Bill Clinton in 1993. How, how did that happen? Like, how did you get that invitation? And can you, can you also, one thing that after working for you, with you for a few years now, me and Sean, one thing that you've done very well that I have not seen anyone else do is leverage those relationships at the White House and Capitol Hill to put on events for the community that really raises a community's profile and really creates buzz around the world. So how, how did you get that first invitation and how, how did you know and how did you plan to leverage that? Well, uh, I think you, you have to go back a little bit because uh, you know right after I got involved with the youth activities in the local Gurdwara, then 1984 uh, attack at the Golden Temple took place. That uh, really changed uh, a lot of things for the Sikh community globally, and of course uh, the community was affected here. I remember we organized a, um, 
I was the one who organized the very first demonstration against the Indian embassy, Indian government here in the United States, uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, and several demonstrations took place and I organized it. But I, one thing which really kind of changed my um, uh, line of thinking and my, the way I would do work is we organized a, a prayer service for the victims of the massacres in Delhi in 1984. We organized a, an event at the uh, American University and we sent out almost 200 invitations to non-Sikhs to all kinds of public officials, elected officials, interfaith leaders, um, you know, any prominent person that we could think of. We sent out handwritten uh, invitation cards and you know, and delivered them personally. So when the day of the event, we were expecting that we will have a good presence, but practically no one showed up. Oh, wow. Oh, man. That was a shocking thing for me. I, I, we felt that here we are, we had, a, in June, we had an attack at the Golden Temple. Our community was victimized, and all over the world we were shown as being terrorists. And then we were, you know, we had a, another incident of our community being massacred uh, in India, especially in Delhi, and you know people could see how we were victims. But still, there was no wave of sympathy, or there was no understanding of who we are. There was, in fact, so much misunderstanding about our community uh, being seen as a violent community, as uh, killers or terrorists and all that. So that's where I kind of felt that uh, this is this is just we're going in the wrong direction. We need to do something about that. So that um, propelled me personally to start looking for other ways of uh, engaging with the non-Sikhs. So that's how I got introduced to the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington. And in 1987, we became the very first uh, Sikh community to become member of the interfaith group, mm-hmm. which was a, a organized group in Washington D.C. Right. And then in 1988, we we took part in the first interfaith concert. I organized that. We I was the main singer. We had 36, uh, you know, doing a rehearsal for many weeks, and we did a pretty good show there. And that was televised, and uh, you know, it was all over the on the radio. Uh, so that helped us to become part of a, a larger interfaith coalition. And similarly, then doors opened for us to be part of another uh, other interfaith groups mm-hmm. here and locally and nationally, uh, where we could be, you know, playing a part in. Um, uh, tackling any issue which was facing America. So Bill Clinton had just uh, become president and there was a, a coalition working for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, RAFRA, and uh, they wanted a Sikh participation. They wanted all religions to be part of this coalition. So we became part of the coalition and we also went around lobbying for the passage of this bill which would help the community, Sikh community as well as all the faith communities to have more religious freedom. So that bill was passed and then the White House wanted to invite all the leaders who had helped in the passage of that bill. That's how I got the invitation to be invited by President Bill Clinton. I think pro- 
probably that was the first time mm -hmm. any Sikh was invited to the White House. You've faced backlash for you know having this connection to the White House through various administrations, whether that's the Clinton administration, Bush administration, and even the Obama administration. Why do you think that was? Why, why do you think there was animosity towards you having that tie uh, and, and pushing the, the Sikh agenda here in America through that channel? Well, uh, most people actually were very happy that there is some Sikh presence and people were happy that I was in Washington. I had the easy access to be involved uh, with the White House, whether it's the um, uh, Clinton administration and then uh, the Bush administration. Of course, being involved, um, you know, gives you prominence, gives you exposure in the media, you know, newspaper articles, whatever. So, of course, <laughs> there are some people who feel, that, why is he the one? Why, yeah. why isn't there somebody else? Or why is he all the only time? Only, why is he the only one who's being invited again and again? But again, you know, it, it, the field is wide open. Anybody can call, anybody right. can get involved, anybody can be invited. But, you know, you, you should, one should be willing to put in the time and effort and energy to be, you know, representing and doing these things sure. for the community. So I have been doing that, so that's how I get invited. But sometimes being involved in any situation also involves taking decisions. And sometimes those decisions are not acceptable to all of the community members. For example, like, you know, right after 9-11, we needed to be in the White House. And of course, uh, you know, Kirpan is not in, allowed in the White House. So a lot of, not a lot, but you know, a few groups or a few individuals would make a big deal that why uh, Rajwan Singh or anybody else uh, who's going to the White House, why are they not making a big issue about that the Kirpan should be allowed uh, for Amritari or somebody who, who is wearing that. Um, my, I am an Amritari Sikh, but I felt that it was it was just, we have a larger issue in, in our hand, which was to really get our identity being accepted and respected by the power brokers. And broadcasted. Broadcasted. Yeah. We need so, a foot in the door. Yeah, we need a foot in the door. And if we start making a kirpan as an issue, um, then we will go nowhere because right. secret service is not going to allow. So I had to make decisions at critical times to say, we have to get the function done or we have to get the event done, regardless whether we are, you know, whether we, we are able to wear, wear kirpan or not. And White House was willing to make all kinds of accommodations to get us, you know, an event or a, or, or a statement or a meeting. So I felt that it was it was in the in the larger interest for the community to go ahead with such uh, engagement and then still continue to work with the White House or the Secret Service or other security agencies to give us uh, the exceptions or privileges. And, you know, but unfortunately, the, the atmosphere in, after 9-11 and subsequent violence against America and Americans, this is a very, very difficult and challenging issue, which I think, you know, we, we continue to grapple with. But it's not that I'm, I'm doing it out of pleasure, but I think we have to keep uh, the focus on making sure that our community's interests are um, uh, promoted and uh, protected by our engagement. Right. Yeah. Well, you laid the foundation for 
men like Gerwin oh. wearing turbans in the White House. Oh, that's very how true. Many, Gerwin, how many you know, turbans or bugs did you see in your few years at the White House? Probably three max, three including max. myself. Hey, that's more than... Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I, you know what? I didn't even think of that until you just said that just now. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. And I think that that is a major contribution. And just to go back to the Bill Clinton thing, the first time I met you was at uh, Obama's inauguration, second inauguration. Yes. And I went home and I told my mom that I had met you. And I told my grandfather, too. And they said, oh, Dr. Rajan Singh, he knows uh, the Clintons very well. And there's a very interesting story with you and Hillary Clinton. But we'll get to that in a second. The one thing I want to state, having worked in the White House to affirm what you're saying, is that a lot of times the White House is looking for communities to be engaged and work with them. And a location is important because they, the, a lot of their staff can't fly around everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you're local to D.C. and you have an issue and you're able to credibly organize around it, they actually want to hear from you. Yes. So it is a lot, a lot of it is showing up. But one thing I think that would be interesting is, how, I, and a lot of people would, I think, take interest in this, uh, is what was it like to work with the Clinton, Bush, and Obama administrations? Could you describe some of their their different cultures very quickly. Um, and then um, I, I want to get into the uh, Hillary story. Okay. Well, the mm-hmm. Clinton administration, um, that was our first engagement. Uh, we organized, uh, um, I put together a, a first briefing mm-hmm. uh, at the White House. That was in 1998. Mm-hmm. But what was their person? What was like the person? Every, every administration has a personality. Yeah. What were the personalities of the three administrations? He just wants you to say that the Obama administration was the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's no, true. But that, but for real. Well, you know, yeah. uh, the Clinton uh, White House was, uh, I would say, was very welcoming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember Flo McAfee, she was the religious liaison. And uh, I invited her to come to my house for dinner. And we talked about, you know, the things that we are trying to do and we were uh, looking to do. And they were very, very welcoming. And she would really want to see the Sikh presence at the White House. And, and then along with her, um, uh, Alexis Harmon, she was the Labor Secretary. And first she was the head of the liaison office. They all really were pushing us to be seen equally respected as the other Christian groups or, um, you know, there were Jewish groups. There weren't too many other communities. Uh, I can't think of a Hindu community or any other community doing any major events. But we had. The Sikh community was given an opportunity to have the briefing. We had 150 people from all over United States were welcomed for the very first time by the Clinton administration. And they were, it was a very, very homely environment. It was, it was, uh, you know, very, uh, you could, it was not uh, like a very regimented atmosphere. That was something different than than the other administrations. I would say that. What, let's go with the Hillary story now yeah. before we move on. Yeah. What, do you, what is, do you, so there's do, actually, you know this is actually a big story. And, okay. and, and in David Pluff's book, I don't know if you read David Pluff's no. book, he writes about it pretty extensively and because he got chastised by Obama like, heavily after this event. And I didn't know you were involved with the event until we started working together. But I thought it was very interesting because David Pluff and David Axelrod, after your, the event that you put on, were like given the by President Obama oh, okay. or then candidate Obama. Yeah, what right. had happened was that we put together an event uh, at the Capitol Hill 
And uh, I also organized a, a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton at my home. Um, so both places, jokingly, I said, because Hillary was so positive about sex and, um, you know, showed her friendliness towards the community and the issues that we face. So I said, here's a senator from Punjab. Like, I jokingly said that, Hillary, <laughs> that if you were to run yeah. for an office yeah. in Punjab, you will be, you know, you will become an elected leader of the Sikh community yeah. anytime. Yeah. So she said, oh, I would love to be, yeah. I, I'm, I'm proud to be a senator for Punjab. Oh, that's funny. So it, it, both times that happened at my house and at the Capitol Hill. And we have, in fact, a videotape of that. So, but somehow the Obama, you know, sort of campaign people. <laughs> the <very laughs> they dug it up during the campaign. They, yeah. they, they started and saying, oh, this is a Hillary Clinton is more interested in doing things for India and Indians and Punjabis or whatever. Right. Then she would be focused on doing uh, things for America or, you know. That she will be, she is more focused to, you know, look after the interests of India or other communities than. That was, it was actually Gerwin's strategy on the campaign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in high school at that time, so that was not even my strategy. So actually, yeah. what the yeah. press reported was, uh, they said uh, this is Obama's pun jab. Yeah, ah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a jab into Hillary yeah. Clinton. Yeah. But it's a pun. So. And, and Bill Clinton was really, really uh, upset, fear, upset. and So was Barack Obama. And Barack Obama. Obama yeah. So I in, issued a statement <laughs> yeah. and Hillary Clinton campaign was kind of, uh, you know, hushing with me like, oh, oh, don't say anything, don't yeah, say anything. Whatever. So it, it, it was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a good drama. Yeah. And it was all over the media. What year was this? 2008. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so the, yes. So yep. Punjab. <laughs> well, let's take a break here um, and we'll come back to, to questions. How was the Bush administration and the Obama administration, at least for six, and, and your time and experience with them? Well, right after when 9-11 uh, happened, um, I remember getting a lot of calls from all over the country that we need to do something. That was immediately after 9-11. Mm -hmm. uh, there were attacks on six, and I was frantically calling the White House. Until then, you know, it had already like six months or eight months had passed. I haven't had the chance to really have a, a point of contact at the White House. And, and just a quick point. Yeah. Bulbir Singh Sodhi and a few other hate crimes that had happened in those yes, six months. That was on the 15th. Right. And 9-11 happened on the, uh, on the 11th. And uh, between 11th and 15th, I placed many calls, but I got no answer. Mm. Finally, after the 15th, I got a call. And I, I was in, uh, I, you know, <laughs> sort of uh, expressed how critical it was for us to have support from the president and from the White House. So I was called for a meeting, uh, to be part of a meeting on 20th of uh, September, where Bush had invited about 25 religious leaders from all over the country to have a, a, a private session with him. That was the day he was going to address uh, the, uh, the Congress after 9-11. So that was the very first time I got a chance to talk to Bush directly in front of other religious leaders. And the way I, you know, it's just Vaigru's, you know, kirpa or blessing, I was able to narrate a couple of stories about a, a taxi driver 
in uh, San Jose that uh, he was attacked. His his house was uh, um, had a a um, like a, um, a fire bottle thrown in his house. But when the press people came, he said, "I will still defend uh, America. I will fight for America, even if I'm attacked." I narrated that story to Bush. The White House people were just stunned by the sentiment of our community. They immediately make, made me the spokesperson of that group which had come there. So I was given a chance to talk to the entire world press at the White House, uh, along with four other religious leaders. I thought that was just a, a God-given opportunity for us to really show who Sikhs are. And then on the 26th of uh, September again, Bush invited uh, 25 uh, Sikh leaders from all over the country. And I was again invited and I was made to sit on the right side of Bush. And I was the one who gave him a book on Golden Temple. I had Do you remember what color your bug was that yes, day? Yeah. Wore, what color was it? I, I was an orange color. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, CN, the CNN bug? Yes. Yeah. That was the infamous so bug. That, yeah. Yeah. So those are your go-to bug for big events? Yes. <laughs> and then I, you know, one thing which I did, it just happened. Yep. I just held his hand. Yep. And I asked all the Sikhs to form a circle around him. And we started singing Gurbani. Oh, wow. Jagat Chalandara, Khalapani, Kirpatar, Kirtitwara. We started singing that in the Jefferson room right next to the Oval Office. Oh, wow. So it just changed the entire atmosphere. The White House people were stunned again. And Bush was really, really moved by that prayer, that blessing we did for America. And for, for you know, the country was country needed to be healed. Yeah. So we did that. And that, again, again, provided an opportunity for us to really show that we are part of America. We are... So that... That started a very, a very close relationship with the Bush administration, and that ended up um, producing the first ever Sikh event at the White House in 2004. We celebrated the uh, 400th anniversary of the uh, the Guru Granth Sahib Prakash at the Golden Temple. So that was, yeah. Yeah. Was B- yeah. Bush a friendly guy in person? He is an extremely friendly guy. I mean, he he would he's the kind of person that you would want to spend time, you know, anywhere, anytime because he's he's uh, down to earth. Jokingly, he will make you feel comfortable around him. He's he's you know very likable guy. How about Obama? How do you compare it? Obama comes across uh, as what is reported in the press, you know, kind of. Little cold shouldered, uh, you know, like a like a professorial. Yeah, erudite. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, he doesn't come across as a very um, um, backslapper like Bill Clinton. Yes, Bill yeah. Clinton again. I mean, I remember meeting him several times. Each time you meet him, he treats you like he is your brother. Yeah. So that's that's a little different. Right. Obama is a very nice guy. I mean, I don't. Mis- Top five president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gerwin's bias. Don't take it on. Yeah. But but uh, you know there is a different uh, vibe. Yeah. The personality is different. Right. Yes. Right. Awesome. Um, well, you know, thank you for digressing on all of our interests about the different various administrations. As you can tell, Gerwin and I are very politically oriented. Yes. Um, it's what what causes fun. But let's get back into your life and what you've done for Sikhism here in America and globally. In the past few years, you've really taken a major lead in pursuing huge 
endeavors and causes for six across the world and really push six to become more charitable and active in our communities my question is what's caused you to go out there and fundraise in particular like clearly you, you have a knack for organizing um, but fundraising is kind of really something you've pushed recently and and what's driving that well i feel that uh, the sikh community is a very generous community mm-hmm. Um, once they really know uh, um, that the cause is just and the the person or organization which is doing this work is is um, uh, transparent and honest, people in our community are willing to you know bet on and then they can they they are they open their hearts and wallets. Mm-hmm. So I felt that whatever the cause that I have tried to get involved, I try to make sure that it is a genuine cause, it is a just cause, and it is going to have a long-term positive impact for our community. I shy away from anything which is not practical, which is you know uh, based on emotions. I try to be, I mean, I'm a very emotional guy, but I also want to be a practical person. So whether it's the eco-sick, whether it's the um, National Sikh Campaign or whether it's the Sikh Human Development Foundation, I feel each of these projects are uh, really wonderful projects and they are needed projects and they have a long-term positive um, impact for our community. Do you want to do you want to get into um, just the way that you use social media? Because I think it's going off the fundraising piece. Um, Another thing that you've done very well within the community, particularly amongst what Sean and the rest of the young folks at National Sick Campaign say is the uncles in the community, is that you've really utilized social media to your advantage. Uh, and I think it has brought your awareness and your activism to another level. So how did, how did, explain your relationship with social media. How did you, how did you build such a big audience on those pages? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'm abused by your, uh, your, your appreciation. Yeah. Because I, that's not what I hear from my own children. Here's the thing. Let me, let me, let me, let me clarify that. Because my generation, way you use Facebook, very different. But there's no doubt there's an effect, right? Like, as an organizationally, National Sick Campaign has felt that effect. I wouldn't post in, in that way, but it, because I'm a different generation. Sean's a different generation. We're a different generation. Yeah. But the way, nonetheless, it's still been effective for the people that you're trying to go after. Yeah. And you're yeah. never going to be cool to your kids. That's yeah. just yeah. like a tough ask. That's, yeah. that's, that's true. Ask. That's yeah. true. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think in a way you have to be shameless. Right. That, uh, you know, that's a fair way to. Right. Yeah, because because I feel that you are here to make it do a job, right? And you're you're asking for money, you're asking for support, and you have very little time. Uh, you don't have the luxury of traveling so many miles and be available full time to do these things. Social media provides you that uh, that you know sort of a way of connecting with people mm-hmm. long distances and uh, saving time and energy. Mm-hmm. So I felt that uh, if there is a tool which is available, why not use it as much as possible uh, for, for, the, for the advantage of the cause that we are pursuing, whether it's you know, National Sick Campaign or EcoSick or whatever. So I, I wanted to inform <laughs> my contacts yeah. Yeah. and my you know, friends as much as possible, mm-hmm. as frequently as possible, yeah. 
whatever things or moves that we are making so that people start relating to it and i i i i can see that it 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 did make a difference it did have a, a it did help to create positive results you've done a tremendous job especially you know from a government and governance perspective raising funds and and really allowing many six to take on these great causes I'd like to know in your time to service to the Sikh community when was a time you felt defeated and you felt that maybe we're not going to be able to unite each other and and do this work uh, and and how did you overcome that that feeling you mean uh, during the national Sikh campaign or, or any any even your your you know 30 years of of working in activism uh was there a feeling of of just de- defeat and and thinking that maybe there is just too much division in our community that we couldn't do this yeah i mean i felt that uh, after uh, the attack at the golden temple and there was a a very um strong movement in the in america among the six that we should um, you know either form a khalistan or form our our nation and um i was at the periphery of these uh these movements which were you know there was a strong uh movement for khalistan but my practical sort of focus was that we should be talking more about the human rights violations mm. and i was quite heavily involved in lobbying the kind of members of congress about the human rights violations which were taking place in punjab uh but i was constantly kind of uh uh being sort of uh, labeled, labeled as a sell out because uh. i'm not talking about khalistan i'm talking mm. about the human rights only mm. or i'm talking about the self determination i'm not talking about the khalistan but i feel and i felt at that time also and i still feel now that we lost our our uh, argument by not talking about uh, human rights and talking more about khalistan and i felt that uh, people are just not ready to listen people are not just seeing the logic uh, that uh, we would have more sympathy more support from the world from the administrations here in america and members of congress if we had um, really kept ourselves focused on the human rights violations but with the moment you start bringing khalistan or territorial disintegration of india it changes it changes the debate it changes the conversation then you're talking about sovereignty you know, sovereignty, sovereignty issues right. and uh, foreign relations and trade and economics and all kinds of other issues take over and then you, you and then people the justice for those people is not addressed yeah and then then if you infuse violence in any struggle and that was which, which I so i felt uh, by 90 early 90s or late 80s I felt that this is a lost cause we are not going to go anywhere and ultimately we have seen that that the movement completely died mm-hmm. and um so I and I felt that uh, and I felt that whatever I could do to change the the way people were handling this issue mm-hmm. but just people were not mm-hmm. not ready to listen or not ready to mm-hmm. even have a serious conversation right. to create a coherent strategy to handle how our community can further its interest and really protect the people who are suffering in right. back home. So you I I think this is a perfect actually segue into NSC because you then turned your attention what it seems like in the late 80s to the 90s where you were invited by Bill Clinton yes. towards the United States. Yes. Yes, and, and I I felt yeah, 
I felt that uh, it's a really a lost cause mm-hmm. try to influence the events back home by sitting thousands of miles away. Right. Whereas our community's long-term interests are being ignored in America. Right. And so when 9-11 happened, that really shook the community. And and I felt I feel that, you know, I'm thankful to Vaiguru and thankful to Guru Nanak that we were we were kind of already prepared to take on the sort of the leading role into uh, in the 9/11 crisis because by that time we had very built a very strong relationship with the members of congress with the white house and also with the interfaith community and with the media so immediately you know like starting from late 80s to early 90s mm-hmm. we had we were able to place ourselves very well right. in the American political system and the social system in Washington. So how, how do you think Nationalist Campaign, which for those who don't know about Nationalist Campaign, they're listening to this, which I find hard to believe because it's a Nationalist Campaign podcast, but nevertheless, Nationalist Campaign helped people understand who six are in America, raised over a million dollars, ran a campaign called We Are Six, mm-hmm. made a substantive difference, also received a little bit of backlash. But can you, in the context of all that you're talking about, how did We Are Six progress the agenda in the theory that you had been running on since almost the 80s? Well, I felt was that, again, after 9-11, our community um, was caught in a very difficult situation. Uh, We were trying to, you know, put ourselves together to handle the crisis. And it was, it, I feel three crises in the last uh, sort of one century, I mean, in the 20th century and the 21st century, the partition of India, where almost half of the Sikh community lost all its assets, and uh, it was a shaking moment in our history. Then 1984, the attack at the Golden Temple, that shook the entire community. Then 9-11 really, really impacted our community, globally as well as in America. So these are colossal events, like the earth-shaking events for our community. And I felt that uh, after 9-11, whatever efforts we have been doing as a community, that really did not change the situation. It didn't move the needle, even up to the attack at the Oak Creek Gurdwara. We, we were just, we were being reactionary. We were, you know, the hate crimes, the discrimination. We would fight the cases in the courts. We would file the issues in the... Um, in the media, talk to uh, lawmakers, but still, at large, America had no clue who six are, and that's why we felt that there was something something different needed to be done, and that's how this national Sikh campaign came into being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just you know, addressing what Gerwin brought up regarding some of the issues we faced at the national Sikh campaign regarding joining the mainstream of America or, or becoming more assimilated into their culture or using messaging that makes us more American and, and having a backlash of people saying that, oh, we don't want to assimilate totally into America. That's not who we are. We're six first. How do you address those comments? I feel that uh, coming from the Sikh theology, that we are here to create friendship with everybody and anybody. That is who six are. Regardless whether you're in America or England, Canada, our our job is as members of the uh, uh, community which belongs to Guru Nanak, 
We are ready to build bridges with anybody. And especially when in a land where you have been given such an opportunity, you mm. are practicing your faith so freely, you are given such privileges that in America, the Sikh community is the most uh, progressive and most uh, sort of affluent community in the world. In America, the Sikhs have been able to create such a powerful influence and such powerful impact for Punjab and for Punjabis. So when you're here, when you're given so much by this land, why won't you get back and say, I am proud to be an American. I have no hesitation in saying that this is a wonderful country. Although the government or the policies of the you know, government, they, they have taken certain stands which may not coincide with how the Sikh philosophies or Sikh um, teachings are. But regardless, I mean, that's that if, if you are in India, that happens. Even our Sikh leaders sometimes don't follow what Sikhism talks about. Mm -hmm. So right. we, we should start calling ourselves not Sikhs anymore. So, I mean, the point is we in America, when we are running a campaign trying to educate Americans about who we are, we have to relate to who we are to our neighbors, to our friends, and to people who live here. We have to call ourselves, and we have to make a connection with them. We have to say, hey, whatever you believe in, we also have the same values. Mm -hmm. So that does not mean that I am kind of trying to uh, assimilate or uh, I would say take away my own identity or trying to dilute whom, who I am. Right. In fact, when we are involved in the interfaith, um, dialogue when you're saying all religions should be respected does not mean that you're saying uh, each religion or uh, you know that other religion is better than mine or my religion, or my religion needs to yeah. give something yeah up. It, it, it's yeah. just that each religion is it ought to be respected for whatever they stand for rather than trying to compare or trying to say this one is superior, this is inferior. I think the same way when you're living in a country and as citizens of any land, you have to start relating to people and say, hey, we are all the same. We are all right. equal and we all believe in the same values as you are. Mm -hmm. Does not mean that you're right. diluting yourself and trying to eliminate your own identity. I also think we were very strategic too in the way we conducted the campaign because we were very keen on calling people in instead of calling them out. Because I think we all recognize nobody knows who we are and that we were not going to be able to convince anybody by chastising them for their lack of knowledge. There's a lot of things I don't know yeah. about a lot of different communities. Yeah. Right. And we were very strategic by calling them in and saying, look, you believe in equality. Yeah. Right. Is an American value. Yeah. This equality is the foundation of Sikhism. Yes. And that your tur the turban that what many people fear is actually a representation of values that you hold very dear. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, the founding principles of this nation are very much, even before 9-11, mm. uh, I remember when we would write a pamphlet or anything, these things will be written there. Even when we were talking about the injustice that the Sikhs were facing in India, the first sentence we would say, we are Americans and we believe in the same uh, the principles of equality, justice, and harmony, or whatever. 
you that's the way you start the conversations so people other person can relate to you <laughs> right it, 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 that is how you start the dialogue you find the common, common ground right. the common ground and the common values and this so is you build what, any friendship exactly yeah. and and you know i just out of you know on top of my mind i'm just thinking wherever six have gone whether it's in canada or uk or in australia or new zealand or in thailand or bank wherever they have gone they have tried to integrate themselves in the local culture with the local values and the local um, places and have been able to be um, integrate but at the same time stand out that's how the sikh campaign campaign is all about yeah. we are showing how we are integrated we are part of part and parcel of american society but at the same time we have a unique identity and a unique story right yeah just to build on this and just a couple of questions about you being a modern sikh activist thinking about you know we have a lot of work to do with raising awareness with our neighbors and, and externally what do you think are, are the you know one or two challenges that we still have as a sikh community in the united states or, or even in other you know diasporic populations that have inhibited our ability to raise awareness what what are those things that we still have to fix well i feel that uh, we don't um, our gurdwaras are not fully equipped to provide those tools to common six uh, our religious uh, clergy or the granthis or the pracharaks who have were kind of leading our religious institutions they are not bilingual so they they are not able to um sort of uh, translate and really provide the 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 translations or or the teachings of the guru granth sahib or the teachings of the faith to the common people in the idiom which they can understand and then become uh equipped to communicate outside of the gurdwara are you making fun of gurwin and i right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i feel i feel that the uh, you know it, it's true it is very true, true. Yeah. yeah most gurdwaras are practically catering to the needs of 40 and above yeah so the youth is missing and youth does not have that sense of connection with the core of the faith or the core of the uh, who we are mm-hmm. so unless there is this gap is filled this is not going to change and and i'm 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 very fearful of um that we have uh, the next 15 20 years is really the most important window of opportunity we have mm-hmm. because it's my generation which is going to be in the last stages of their life yeah in the next 15 20 years is our community ready to kind of transition have the transition that the next generation is going to take over all the institutions are they ready to really be the leaders and you know fully grounded in the faith that's something yeah. which i feel is a big challenge that leads me to my next question you know today as a public figure in america for six especially what are some things that you want to see done by six whether your generation or younger in this country by the time you've retired or officially done with you know your activism days well i would really like to see um, you know in the next 5 to 10 years at least one member of congress turban wearing member of congress from our community that can change the way we are seen mm-hmm. i would like to see a turban wearing person be be a, a tv anchor or a tv reporter 
So, so Turban, just like in Canada, I mean, we have we are elected officials there, and we have a national minister of defense, Sardar, fully fledged. Um, I mean, Dalip Singh Son is a great example. We we could have uh, Sikhs who are not wearing turban could also be running for an office, uh, which is also important. But it is just. Uh, if we have a turban-wearing person, it creates more awareness and more quickly mm-hmm. the news is 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 you know sort of spreads. So I feel that 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 something is achievable. It can be done. We've just had a, a mayor of Hoboken, a turban-wearing person, become became a mayor, and we have now attorney general in New Jersey. So it is possible if the community and the you know young people's start seeing that there is a possibility and you know start working towards that and and also yeah. i would add that we need to have more english speaking granthis in our schools i mean in the gurdwaras i'm envisioning that we we have a granthi training school here in america rather than in india right so people sense. people young people who are born and brought up here can aspire to become the granthis full time granthis you, you see it in canada in the uk they have you know like young yeah. Sikhs who are Granthis who yeah. speak English and yes, yes. You know, Punjabi fluent yes. and Gurmukhi fluent yeah. and everything. We need that in America. That also. would make a big difference. I'm just, just throwing it out there because I think there's a lot of people that are interested, yeah. right, that want to have, that are very proud of their faith, Sikh faith. Yeah. They know what values we have. Yeah. But they can't go a, lo- a level deeper mm-hmm. because there's a, that gap. Yes. Uh, and there's a, there is a demand to go a level deeper. Yes. I really do believe that. So are there any phrases or shabads from Guru Granth Sahib Ji that are your favorite? Um, and how have you applied them to your life? Well, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, the founder of our faith, uh, Guru Nanak, is my hero. Because I feel that um, he's, uh, the world has not discovered uh, who he is. And many Sikhs have not also discovered who he is. We know him as a founder of our faith, but we have not really gone deeper at a deeper level to understand. Uh, he was the man who was ahead of his times. He was talking about some of the issues that we are facing. Now the humanity is facing some of the issues like the gender equality and uh, environment and um, you know how you treat each other, uh, how you um, respect each other's faith. These are some of the things that he talked about. But we have not been able to really um, take his philosophy and present it to the world the way Buddhism is presented, right. the way Christ is presented, the way uh, Sufis are presenting Islam. You know, everyday people can start to relate. I mean, like Rumi is so popular. Guru Nanak's poetry is no less than Rumi's. Why have not been we been able to, you know, present it in a very creative manner, in a very attractive manner? People, I, I, common you know, people. You know what's interesting is, based off what We Are Six, the We Are Six campaign, and just based off like our social media reactions, I'm confident that if we went out on the stump for it, that it would resonate. Because if you think about the contemporary problems, that just let's just take yes. America, yes, right, yeah. Many of those contemporary problems, Grunanik was talking about hundreds of years earlier. Yes, yes. exactly. So, yeah. so the point is, um, so there's a there's a beautiful line, you know, like I all, often quote is, "Manjit uh, te jagjit," you know, like if you conquer your mind, you conquer the world. It's a beautiful line by Grunanik, 
and then he is, there's another beautiful line that I often quote is dil darbani jo kare dirveshi dil ras ishq mohabbat nan ka likh hai kar kar mein karte paas that those who guard uh, their own mind and keep their thoughts aligned with uh, their own being and uh, he says that you will become the angels the angels who spread love and you bring harmony in the world so that's the vision of guru nanak i mean he always talked about nanak duniya kaisi hui salak mitna re koi where the where the true friends of humanity i'm i'm waiting for them that's the kind of vision that guru nanak had and i that really motivates the moment i read his bani it just motivates me yeah i can feel it with you right now yeah like i feel that <laughs> we should be we should be shouting mm-hmm. on the rooftops hey you know just like uh, you know, that story you know by uh, how guru, ninth guru was discovered when the guy found out that he is the true guru he went on the rooftop and said hey this is the true guru yeah this is how the sikhs should be shouting on rooftops that the our guru nanak is is the savior of humanity mm-hmm. but we have not been able to do it mm-hmm. so that's the that's what motivates me mm-hmm. so what what advice do you have for younger sikhs who want to get into activism because particularly in this age people want to be involved people want to speak out uh, and you've had a life in decades worth of that so what is your advice to someone that wants to get involved in activism well first i feel that uh, you know we have to get out of the the victim mentality we yes our community faces a lot of issues a lot of challenges here in punjab and other places but we still need to think positively and chardikala and say hey i'm here not as a victim but as a follower of guru nanak and guru gobind singh i'm here to declare to the world how can i help i'm here to help i'm here to contribute and mm-hmm. lift things up mm-hmm. for others and for myself so with if you have that vision it changes the way how you you see yourself how you see your own community and how you see the world mm-hmm. it's just like barack obama could have been just talking about the issues faced by black americans in in, in everyday in america and he would have ended up being nowhere but he wanted to talk about what america how he could bring the america together how white and red, i mean red and blue states uh, it does mm-hmm. not exist i mean it's it, we are all americans so when you start bringing people together that's where a lot of opportunities open and that's what the world is waiting for that's what the america is waiting for so i feel that the sikh community have the potential of playing such a positive role we are the i in my opinion we are the only community which could really play a positive role because of our teachings and because of our history and perseverance that the way we have really survived as a community we could be the change makers we are the change agents right we have been wherever we've gone yes so why why can't we do that but but we we have to get out of this victim mentality that somehow the world needs to come and help us and we knew we had a problem but we've we, always had the traditional yeah. mentality of going after it yeah exactly. we always go after yeah. it so so yeah. so you know in the last 3 4 decades our community leaders in punjab or here also always talk about panth khatre che that panth is in danger and that you know kind of riles up a lot of people oh let's do something about panth but i feel 
panth is not in danger the panth is is always out of danger when panth is talking about the world and how we can be the uh, we're a sleeping giant exactly right like even when there are times when half of our population was massacred on and one day but 6 months later we conquered lahore and we've established our first kingdom that's the history of the sikkimity right so if the, a young person starts seeing himself or herself as a as a person who is here to make a difference the whole thing changes and i think our identity is of no impediment of no barrier if we really want to achieve something yeah on a personal level uh, i think both for goan and i something that's so admirable about you is your ability to balance and multitask among a lot of different competing causes and time you have a lot of things happening you know you're a very busy man it's hard to get you on the phone as someone who's a successful dentist family man activist and community leader what's your secret for people like us who you know we're just coming into our our adult lives and trying to figure it all out i think uh, really ardas <laughs> you have to pray and you know ask for guru's guidance and uh, really keep uh, gurbani at the heart of your whatever you're trying to achieve i think um um you know reading and knowing your history and reading and uh, knowing gurbani really helps to kind of uh, handle some of the challenges and issues that we face as an individual as a family person as a business person as a community leader there are a lot of challenges and um but you know i i often joke with my kids that uh, hey my beard has gotten white because of the uh, the stress that uh, have come in my life because of you being you know being raised as kids from teenagers to the, to act to the adults yeah they said no 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 this this white beard is <laughs> self inflicted <laughs> self inflicted yeah. because of all the things that you do and especially nationalist campaign <laughs> that's great and and by the way Dr. Rajnath has a beautiful wife who's a child psychiatrist yes. and two beautiful children yes. who can d- dance and sing. Yes. Very talented family. Uh, I actually got a few white hairs because of nationalistic campaign last <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, I did too. So I actually legitimately is Yeah, I yeah. never used to believe but then yeah. people started saying Obama's hair yeah. <laughs> stress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, well, actually well, let's conclude yeah, let's, here. Um we were talking about NSC earlier. We just got back to it. What, what what was the in your in the decades of work that you were doing what how would you categorize NSC how would you categorize in the context of all the things you were talking about working to build awareness i felt that uh, NSC is is the best project i've ever gotten involved in because i felt that there was a this was a, a very scientific it was based on research it was based on data it was targeted and we had the help of some of the best minds uh, and best talented people in the american political fields and marketing fields so we have never as a community in our 500 years of history we have never ever gone out to really seek the best talent i believe that if guru nanak was here today he would do the same he would use facebook he would use twitter he would do anything to get his message across and we are doing 
exactly what our community should be doing. When we are so small and we have the, the resources, but we don't have the mechanism to put our information out or put our point of across, there is nothing wrong in employing and sourcing out and getting the best talented people to work for you. Any corporation does it, any business does it, why not our community? Right. And the other thing people should know is that the people that worked with us on this, they don't just work with anybody. Yes. They don't, they're making enough money. Yeah. And yeah. they're not getting a lot of money from us, but yes. despite how much money they're, they're not, they're not turning their lights on, paying their bills because of National State Campaign. Absolutely. They're doing it because they were passionate yes. about what our cause was, and they're doing it because they actually believed in our message, which is really Grunonic's message. Yes. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I remember when you told me that uh, Bill Clinton's speechwriter who did the editing for the uh, National State Campaign's website, the We Are Six uh, website, for, for no charges. That itself showed, I mean, it brought tears in my eyes because, uh, look, I mean, this guy has nothing to do with Sikh faith, nothing to do with the Sikh community, and he is offering his services for free to help us as a community. How, you know, he is practically living what Guru Nanak would be teaching us. So that's, I feel, is the strength of the National Sikh Campaign, that we were able to attract people to do things, to spread our message, uh, with 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 passion, yeah. and they become, you know, sort of uh, entrenched members of our faith community, like helping us. Yeah. So what's next for NSC? Gurun and I could talk about it. But we'd love to hear it from your words. Well, I feel that uh, we, next year we are celebrating 550th birth anniversary of Guru Nanak. I feel that we have an opportunity to really create, um, you know, awareness about Guru Nanak and in turn it will create awareness about our faith also. So um, we should have a very very well-designed strategic plan to do major marketing on Guru Nanak for the next year and a half. Uh, Because it's just, we can anchor so many things uh, related to his 550th anniversary. And also, I feel that we should really have and a, a some sort of a, an engagement with the Hollywood or you know with the with the art world or with the so we can we can sort of popularize the Sikh identity and the Sikh community in the common culture. So I think those are the, some of the things which we can do this yeah. year. A lot of great content coming from yep. the National Sikh Campaign. Yeah. Um, anything on EcoSick you want to touch on? Yes, I feel that. Um, um, you know, the world is facing a major crisis, major threat with the climate change. And uh, we being the fifth largest religion, what is our role in this? You know, what is the point of having a religion? A religion is there to connect us with our creator, but also connect us with everything around us. And everything around us is people, animals, nature. So how are we connecting? What kind of relationship we have? And Guru Nanak reminds us, Pavan Guru Pani Pita Mata Tart Mahat, that you should consider water as father, earth as mother, and air as your guru, as your teacher. Which means having a, a positive and respectful relationship with your these wonderful gifts of nature. So if you if you don't if you don't care for water, air, and land, ultimately you are cutting down your own roots. 
So that's where I feel the Sikhs have a major, again, a contribution to make. As followers of Guru Nanak, who always reminded that nature is a teacher. Nature is is a manifestation of Vaiguru or God. So you practically... And secondly, I feel 80% of the world population, Sikh world population, lives in Punjab. We are the only religion, only religious community which is concentrated in one geographical area. We are not yet a major international religion as, you know, although we, you know, three, four, five million six or six million six live all around the world. But 80% of our total world population is concentrated in one region. And that region is in danger. Mm. Right now it's losing water. It has major chemical laden land and water and air. And in the next 30, 40 years, our population could be wiped out. So if we don't take action, if we don't do something now, it's going to impact our community, the greatest than any other community. So that's why that motivates me that EcoSick is a, a way to engage people and say, hey, we need to change our ways, protect the land, and really you know, save it for the future generations. Yeah. So that's what, uh, and, and we were able to, again, this again provided an opportunity for us to be on the table with the United Nations, with the World Bank, with the White House, with the French government, with the Italian government, with the UK government, they wanted faith communities to be part of the climate change issues or environmental issues. And if just see if you don't if you don't have a Sikh sitting in a table, then we are missing the bus. So this again opened up a door, just like interfaith opened up a door for us to play a role in America and the White House and 9/11 or all that. EcoSikh is again providing us an opportunity to be engaged in the wider world. Um, where Sikhs have never been really given the serious um, presence. So besides uh, spreading awareness of Sikhs throughout the West and saving the world from climate change, anything else you want to add? <laughs> <laughs> Last words. <laughs> what any, anything, any what? other issues that you want to solve? <laughs> No, I mean, I, mean, I, there are so I don't many, think it's enough, Uncle. Yeah. I think you're really slacking. Yeah, you, yeah, you need well, to add on another cause. Well, yeah. you know, the, the Sikh Human Development Foundation is another, my one of my major uh, pet projects that we are trying to help uh, all the uh, poor uh, children of Punjab to become um, educated so they can become professionals and they can become, you know, contributing members of the society. So that also requires a lot of fundraising, a lot of awareness. A lot of young people need help in Punjab and in northern Indian states. So I could go on and on. I mean, yeah. there's so many positive stories, but it, I've seen, you know, we've seen the practical results of mm-hmm. those people receiving funds and changing their lives and becoming professionals. So it just it just fulfills one's dream of, you know, what could one, one could do. Well, this has been great. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us. Um, you know, the We Are Six podcast is really trying to talk to a lot of great people like yourself, understand your story, understand how you want to improve the world. And, you know, this has been an incredible conversation. I, I want to thank you. Uh, and, and I hope that we can continue this further and do it again some other time. I really thank you because I feel that uh, if I did not have the partnership and the uh, working relationship with young people like you, a very talented young people like you, uh, this would this project would not have gone anywhere 
because I, I could do fundraising, I could speak, but when it comes to practical sort of day-to-day uh, -day nitty gritties of uh, running a campaign, running an organization, I'm very poor in that. So uh, this was a wonderful team and I felt that uh, 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 this would not have gone anywhere if mm -hmm. we did not have a yep. <clears throat> really a wonderful, strong team. Yep. And you guys really played yep. a key role. Shout out to Samit, Sandy, Jas, Jeevan, and all, all the other Paul and Jimmy and yeah. everybody else. Just Veer. Just Veer. There's so many others that we probably are forgetting, and I'm so sorry for that. Right. Um, but thank you, Uncle. You do so much. Just hearing about it is making my daddy chitti. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to Sick Meets World on your favorite podcasting platform and share it with your friends and family. Stay tuned for our next episode, which comes out next month. And of course, be sure to check out the National Sick Campaign website for more information.